0: Somebody I follow quite a bit is Mario Murillo, not because he's a man, but because he's pretty accurate, prophetic, prophetically speaking. He's taken a lot of shots as of late because his word is not tickling the ears of the church. He had a word back in November 2019, um, and he prophesied a destructive time. He said this, why does the American church think she is successful? Her outward success hasn't even tapped the brakes of our impending national disaster. I wish I could say we had stopped the flood of filth and addiction. I'd even be happy if I could say we have slowed the flood. But no, as the flood rises, we take pride in how well we can keep people safe and dry in artificial arcs of glass and stainless steel. We celebrate things that are utterly Irrelevant in the disaster that is even now at the door. Um, And he talks about the old prophetic word. I remember when the Kansas City Chiefs won the Super Bowl, the church went crazy because 20 years ago, a prophet that's now dead, Bob Jones, prophesied that when the Kansas City Chiefs win the Super Bowl, revival, national revival will come tons of christians churches preached on it revivals here revivals here revivals here no pandemic was here right after the super bowl it was only a couple weeks until the coronavirus broke out and we know what happened after that um so he goes on to say even now preachers in america are saying the exact same thing as last year as if none of this has happened and no real danger lies ahead once again you are setting yourself up for another crushing disappointment because you're listening to men who are hopelessly addicted to a false message. Read Jeremiah 38 and you will see something chilling. There was one clear difference between the true prophet and the false ones. The false prophets never called for repentance. That is how you can tell the real from the false preachers right now. If they are not proclaiming national repentance, Run the other way. I said all that because, once again, I must make a prediction and issue a warning. Some will be offended by what I'm about to say. The worst part of the storm is almost upon us. In the next few weeks, you will see a tidal wave of rioting, persecution, censorship, and crime. The evil that is going to be spoken and done against Christians, the president, the forces of law and order, and any patriot who dares to take a stand for America will be unlike anything you have seen so far. Hell itself will be unleashed in order to crush freedom in our nation. You will hear virulent things said against our president that will horrify and sicken you. You will hear politicians call for legislation that sounds like it came out of North Korea. You will hear loud voices even begin to worship abortions and perversion. The election will be vandalized with massive censorship of any pro-Trump ad you will see leftist news personalities call, calling for his imprisonment and even his death. All pretense of decency will be cast aside. Someone asked me if the Lord had shown me that Trump would win a second term. I told them no, He has not. I told them that what I am telling you now—that the single greatest threat to Trump's re- reelection—is the hesitancy of preachers to rally their people to vote. It boggles my mind that this is still possible. Just as dark and impossible as it may seem, just as vile at this moment appears, as this moment appears, there is still a miracle waiting in the wings. Our God, who comes out of nowhere, is sending a clear and undeniable signal to a remnant. They have already been tried in the fire, and now they will come forth like gold. It's really incumbent upon the church in this hour to rally the troops and come together and declare the word of the Lord. This is a defining moment in history. We are living in a defining moment in history. Uh, Should Jesus tarry, our grandkids will be talking about this time. Like we talk about the second great awakening. I believe God wants to pour his spirit upon the world. Not only our nation, but the world. I believe that with my whole heart. But it's incumbent upon us. God offers it to us. But if we keep heaping to ourselves preachers that all they want to preach is prosperity and blessing instead of us getting down to the national disaster that we're now face. While we're preaching that kind of thing, they just passed a law two two days ago. Supreme Court recognizes um, gays, transgenders as a class of people that we can no longer. uh, What word am I looking for? Uh, Racial equality. They're equal now so that's going to come and bite the church very soon because now churches Christian organizations cannot refuse somebody employment because of their lifestyle it's against the law it's not only not good it's against the law now so many churches are going to unfortunately acquiesce to that so they can stay open and stay clear but some churches will not and uh, Christian organizations will not And so we're seeing a line of demarcation right now. It's incumbent upon the church to come awake. We've got to be actively involved in the kingdom of God. We just can't sit by with our ticket in our back pocket waiting for the return of Christ. We've got to get involved. This generation is absolutely needing a earth-shaking, atmospheric-changing revival. Father, we pray tonight, God, we pray tonight for our nation. We pray for this world, Lord, all across this world right now. There's so much darkness. The enemy has been allowed to have his way. Lord, we've the tares that were sown among the wheat are just now beginning to show when it's close to harvest and they're, they're being shown for what they are and who they are. And they've gathered a mass of people to follow them, but they're false prophets and false teachers and people that are not preaching your kingdom, God. I pray that you would remove them, expose them, have them uh, known by people and Lord that your word might be preached, that your word might be heeded, that your church might come out from the places of darkness that we've been in for so long. And that we'd actively involve ourselves in preaching the kingdom. Both with our words and our lifestyle. Lord, what we spend our time doing. Who we spend our time speaking with. God, all of that needs to come to the the front, Father. We can no longer look at football games and dead prophecies to change things. It's going to be us. It's always been us, Lord. It's been your church that you've left here. And so, Father, stir us up, Lord, for this defining moment in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, the moments in history that changed lives were full. We see a bunch of them in the Word of God, the Garden of Eden. One choice made by Eve changed history. Their children, Cain, killing Abel. Noah's Ark was a defining moment in history. Wiped out the whole world except eight people. Moses. I mean, you know, Moses changed the whole generation. Birthed a nation because of his obedience. David, 14-year-old David, wanders on a field, a battle, and kills Goliath and changes the whole direction of a nation. Esther gets picked out of a bunch of women and gets to be the, the queen and saves a nation. In our history, moments where you and I remember, most of us were alive, I think everybody in this room was alive uh, when Kent State happened. Remember the four that were shot in Kent State changed the whole all well, these two guys back here weren't. Uh, but it changed the whole course of, of a generation. Woodstock changed the whole course of a generation. One afternoon in Dallas, Texas, assassination of JFK changed a generation. One thing. Martin Luther King shot in 19, was it 1963, or 68, 68. Changed the course of a nation. 911 woke up on a sunny morning and in a matter of three hours changed a whole nation. Everybody marks their time on what happened in that 15 or 20 minutes between the two jets that hit the Twin Towers. And most recently, COVID 19, never heard from, never heard about until January, late January, early February, in six months has changed everything. It's a household word now. And then, of course, the death of George Floyd. One occurrence. And I think if we as a church do not seize the moment that we're in, we're going to let it pass. And I don't know in our generation if we'll have another moment. I don't know if we'll have another moment. I think things will get worse, wax worse. Uh, things are already beginning to see. We see, saw things in the last month or so that we never thought we'd see before. Whole cities turned on their ear. I believe the church, this great move of God that has been planned before the foundation of the world, I believe is happening in our generation. You and I are alive for that. God will show up and change everything. We see it in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1, Jesus ascended. Matthias, Matthias was chosen. And in Acts chapter 2, we know the baptism in the Holy Spirit happened. And Acts chapter 3... The manifestation of the, the uh, baptism happens. Persecution comes. But that one moment in the upper room changed forever the course of history. Could we be at that moment right now? Could we be at that moment right now? I believe we are. And God's grace is allowing us this moment of time to really get a hold of what God's saying. He will not do it. You've heard me say, I think I said on Sunday again, without God, we cannot, and without us, he will not. Our partnership needs to be with the Holy Spirit. We can be rocked to sleep so easy. The demonstrations here in Rochester seem so far away. We had a couple up at the courthouse, but nothing to speak of but our nation is changing daily. It's being seized by the deception of the enemy. I had opportunity to sit and talk with somebody for two and a half hours. I thought it was going to be a 15 minute meeting. And it was a man that lives here in the city, an African-American. We were back and forth on uh, Facebook until he said, we need to meet. So I said, okay, I'll meet with you. And, uh, so he came in, he's seven foot tall. He was a little bit, uh, uh, intimidating you know when he came walking in i was sitting down and when we said goodbye two and a half hours later i walked out with him i looked like his little kid he's seven foot tall i look like his child you know but i over that couple of hours i heard where he was coming from and his rendition of things of what he sees happening totally different from what i see but he's coming from his background his perception Born and raised in Jamaica, came here as a um, uh, uh, to play um, semi-pro basketball. Got hurt, had to go to school. Went to school at Bethel. Got four degrees. Opened up a business here in town. But he sees everything differently than I see. He goes to church. I don't know where his commitment to Christ is, but he attends church. He was raised in a Christian home in Jamaica. But we are experiencing the death of a sin-soaked world and the rise of the Bride of Christ. God is calling us to rise within His time and be a light to the darkness. Because a lot of this darkness that's happening is due to the church playing footsie while the world burns. How many know we want to get back to chicken dinners and, and Friday night parties? We need to be about the work of the Lord. We need to take what we know outside and begin to change perception of the world, because the world perceives something that's totally out of whack with what God is doing. They don't know what God is doing because the church has not busied ourselves with preaching the message. Paul said, "I don't know anything but Christ and Him crucified." That's what I preach. I have a question for you this evening. Do you believe that Christ can use you in this next defining moment that we're in? Can He use you? That's important. doesn't matter if He uses the church. What about you? Has the church got the faith to rise to this occasion? Will we simply watch as our freedoms are challenged and taken away? Or will we stand for something? See? I said it before, but we live our lives in four-year increments. If we can just get the right guy in the White House, boy, we'll breathe heavy until November. If Trump gets in, man, we made it another four-year. And all that is is putting a band-aid on the problem. The problem is a sin, sin-soaked, sick world. And we've got to be allowed we've got to allow God to use us in a tremendous way acts chapter 3 acts chapter 3 peter and john went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer the ninth hour and a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple which is called beautiful to ask alms from those who entered the temple who seeing peter and john about to go into the temple ask for alms Fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, look at us. And we know this story. He got up and walked. Um, and in verse 11, now is the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John. All the people ran together to them in the porch was called Solomon's, greatly amazed. So when Peter saw it, he responded to the people. Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? It's like, hey, wake up. How many know God kept that man at that gate for that moment? We've talked about it before, Jesus went into the gate beautiful, many times passing that guy sitting there and never talked to him, never said, "Rise and walk." because he was waiting for that moment to spurn the area on to great what, what continued was the revival. Thousands were saved. And one, one of them one of the reasons why is this lame man walked? You and I need to respond to the Spirit of God when He tweaks us. We've been so used to giving it to somebody else and just letting it up for a couple of people. And and I'm sorry, when we have prayer, you need to be a prayer. Get on your face, cry out to God with us. We need to see God called through the prophet Joel. He said, call the minister, call the bride, call the bridegroom. Get them between the porch and the altar and cry out for revival. And if we really cared, if we if say we care like we say we do when we talk, oh, I care, I want revival to come, I want Jesus to do something. Look, if you and I, we, one of these days and some sooner than later, we'll die and our children and our grandchildren will be left. What are we leaving them? What are we leaving them? We must tell them that there's a better life. We must tell them the kingdom of God can change things. Can this nation be turned from its careening to where it's going to the end? Yes, it can be turned, but it's going to take blood, sweat, and tears. It's going to take a lot of work from the church because we've allowed a lot of it to atrophy. Peter and John were doing a regular service of prayer. They came in contact with a need and the lame man walked. The lame man responded to what Peter said, and it was a divine appointment. Have you and I missed divine appointments because of our own proclivity to being lazy? Peter reached out, took the man by the right hand, and he walked. What will you do when a potential defining moment in your life happens? Will you even know it's a defining moment? When your neighbor needs a flat tire fixed. Or when the lady along the street is crying. Or when something happens at Kroger to interrupt your uh, schedule. Will you know it? Will you know that that one thing, could Peter and John have known that that one thing was to turn the city upside down? They would have not known that at all. He just simply did what was before him to do. One man speaking to another man quietly at a place where it rocked the city. And Peter said, men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why do you look so intently at us as though by our own power of godliness, we made this man walk? He went on to talk about Jesus. When a life is changed, all will be affected. The church is a representative of the power of God, and we need to allow the power of God to work through us. And the sad thing is, if I would come up with a name, and I'd say, hey, this guy, uh, you know, we're gonna, we talked in the lobby just before church. Man, what if Mike Pence is going to maybe come? He comes every year for the fireworks in Culver, and we laughingly said, let's invite Mike to come to church to speak. How many know if I, if I announced that Mike Pence was going to be here to speak on Sunday morning, we'd have to meet in the gym and all the chairs we had. Plus this room would be full and the outside would be full. Why? Because we're drawn by a name. Come on, somebody. What happened to saying Jesus is going to be here on Sunday morning? Come. We can't even get people that are part of the church to come every Sunday. We have a great need in this hour to see God move powerfully. A great need to see Him move in a powerful way. The main problem is we cannot get out of our own way. Can't get out of our own way. We are inundated with people who want to be the one that accurately tells what is going to happen. We've got all kinds of people saying, hey, I got a word from the Lord. I was in prayer this morning and I got this vision and I write the vision. And it's a bunch of words that mean nothing. That have nothing to do with what's going on. But they get a following and they get money and they go to this place and go to that place. Instead of weeping, we're sleeping. We ought to be weeping into the condition of the world. Instead of praying, we're talking. Instead of telling, we're selling. Somebody writes a book. I'm not against books. I wrote a book myself. But let's do it for the purpose of extending the kingdom, not extending our fame. The church in America has not taken this thing seriously at all. The condition of this nation is ripe for repentance, followed by an earth-shaking revival. But it's going to have to take people that are going to tell the truth in this hour. For too long, we've either argued about the power of God, we ignored it, we relegate the power to a few evangelists, the operation of signs and wonders or lack the faith to obey what God said. God wants to work through every one of us. When the people gathered, Peter preached Jesus. It was not about him. He didn't promote himself. He said, it's not about me. It's about Jesus Christ. What kills defining moments in the church is heaping everything to ourselves. What's the major thing holding back the signs and wonders so desperately needed? It's because people want to take the spotlight. We have somebody come into town and everybody gets excited. When they leave, everybody goes back to their work. How many know the Holy Ghost is the one that we've got and he doesn't leave. He's here. One thing about talking about God is he hears every word. How many thousands of dollars do we spend every year to, uh, to capitalize a move of God and to make it our own? We do not need to touch the godly thing, the holy thing. When the man reached out to touch the ark, he was killed. Why? Because he was touching the holy things. And when we reach out and touch the holy things of God, movements stop and die. And there's a reason for that because God is the only one that's going to get the glory. Not some person. We raise people up. This is not the hour to build more names, my friend. The only name we are called to proclaim is that of Jesus. It's the only name. Peter said, why do you look at us? If what you aim to do is get the spotlight on you, it will be a short-lived moment in history. But if you put the spotlight on Christ, it will be a change in our nation. Isaiah chapter 44 and verse 6. If you have your Bibles, Isaiah 44. Isaiah 44 and verse 6. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, by the way, the pre-incarnate Christ, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God and who can proclaim as I do. Then let him declare it and set it in order for me since I appointed the ancient people and the things that are coming and shall come. Let them show these to them. Do not fear nor be afraid. Have I not told you from that time and declared it? You are my witnesses. Is there a God besides me? Indeed, there is no other rock. I know not one. And God's message is still that today. Do not proclaim some other God or some other movement. And I fear that the church, especially in America, has preached another Christ. One that is not real. One that looks aside from sin. How many know God doesn't look aside from sin? Yes, He has grace and mercy, but He will not pour His Spirit out on a sin-filled church. Acts chapter 3 and verse 16, Peter says this, And His name through faith in His name has made this man strong whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through Him has given Him this perfect soundness, In the presence of you all. Yet now brethren I know that you did it in ignorance. As did also your rulers. Peter called attention to. And preached Jesus Christ. As we should. God needs you to be obedient to the call. That is on every Christian right now. Obedient to the challenge. Obedient to the call. The only thing standing in the way. Is us. I believe the only thing. That's standing in the way of Jesus Christ. Pouring out his spirit is you and me. And the sooner that we repent and get ourselves in where God is, once we line up with God and we become one with him and his purpose, nothing can stop the coming revival. Nothing. It will absolutely change the face of a nation. but I believe now in this time when the harvest is ripe, the Terrors are beginning to show. The false prophets, false apostles, false pastors beginning to show. And I want just, to just for uh, review, let's go through what we should be standing on, the tenets of our Christian faith. Number one, we need to quit apologizing for God. God, well, God is a, you know, God's a benevolent God. He's a graceful God. He is all that. But how many know if God says it, you better believe it. God says it, you better believe it. It's not going to change. There's one true God, personal, infinite, self-revealing, all-powerful, all-knowing, everywhere present, self-existent, sovereign, and eternal. He's righteous, holy, loving, merciful, and redemptive. He's a trinity, three eternal persons, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's also one. He is in perfect unity. And what he says, his word is final. We could try to dress it up and tell people, well, well, you know, uh, that's that may be true, but let me try to explain it. No, don't try to explain a word of God. Speak it and allow the Holy Spirit to travel in on that and convict hearts. Come on, somebody. It's a living word that we're speaking. Why do we feel we have to say something and then explain it away? Well, this is God. He, does, he hates sin, but he loves the sinner. Well, put the accent on hating sin. He not only hates sin, if you're sinful and you're not repentant and you're not a Christian, when you die, you're going to a Christless eternity. You're going to hell. Yes, grace, mercy, all of that, but it's God. The Scottish theologian John Bailey said this, We must remember in discussing God that we cannot talk about Him without His hearing every word we say. We may be able to talk about others behind our backs, but God is everywhere. Yes, even in this room right now. Therefore, in all our discussions, we must be aware of His infinite presence and talk about him as it were before his face. God's God; He's not going to change things because we're uncomfortable. I don't know where we got this thing that crept in the body of Christ these last twenty years or so. Oh, we don't want to say that will make somebody uncomfortable. The whole idea of user friendly seeker friendly churches was we don't convict, we don't want to make people feel bad. Who want them to come and sit in our... How can somebody come and sit in a church and, and live a gay homosexual or living with somebody or uh, uh, sin and not be convicted after 5, six, ten years? Still coming to the church, but their life hasn't changed. And we call that success. Second thing we need to believe is Revelation. Revelation. God reveals himself in nature and scripture and supremely through Jesus Christ. The Bible is the inerrant and infallible word of God. It truthfully reveals to us knowledge about God, the world, and ourselves. The word is our sole authority for faith and life. Revelation comes from his word. Seeing a trend here. His word does not change. He sets his word above his name. One of the things that are deeply embedded in me, conviction in me, is to preach the word of God verse by verse. Because you can't get away from it. It's going to be right there. You can't skip it. It's going to be right there. You know, the whole counsel of God we need to embrace. The whole counsel of God. This is wrong, it's wrong. It's right, it's right. There's nothing in between. It's black and white in the Word of God. There's no gray areas. We misunderstand the mercy and grace of God. He, he gives us mercy and grace, but when the truth is revealed, we either say yes or no, and we pay the price for that yes or no. Creation. This is a stickler. God created all. God created everything, man, woman, the universe was created alone through the power of his word and as the theater of his own glory. There's only two sexes. I don't care how logical you get or how scientific you get or how excuses you get. <laughs> well, I was born this way. Well, yeah, I was born with a proclivity for alcohol, but I don't drink. Come on, somebody. We use it as excuse. Creation is from God. French mathematician examined the laws of probability for a single molecule of high dissymmetry to be formed by the action of chance. He found that on an average, the time needed to form one such molecule in our earth would be about 10 to the 253rd power or billions of years just to create a molecule. But, he continued, let us admit that no matter how small the chance it could happen, one molecule could be created by such an astronomical odds of chance. However, one molecule is of no use. Hundreds of millions of identical ones are necessary. Thus, we either admit the miracle or doubt the absolute truth of science. If one molecule took a billion years, how long would it take to create what we have? Infinity. These scientists that say the earth is 16 million years old missed it by about 3 trillion years. If this is true. See, creation, the earth was created in six solar days, period. God said, Let there be light, there's light. Six days later, he said, It is good. I'm finished. I got to take a rest. Rest it on the seventh day. Come on, somebody. We can't change that. The fourth belief is human beings. Human beings made them male and female. There's no lost books where we can look and God made other than male and female. God did not give somebody the ability to change somebody's sex with his blessing. Now, I know I'm speaking to the choir But we have a lot of who we call brothers and sisters that would defend transgender and all that for the sake of making somebody comfortable. How many know? Making somebody comfortable here that's going to burn in hell there. You don't really love them at all. You hate them. If you're really going to tell somebody it's okay to live that lifestyle, you don't love them at all. You say it's because you love them. You don't want to upset them. No, you hate them. You want them to go to hell. You can't have anything in between that. Human beings are created by God. There's sin involved with them. They need to come to the salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ. But he made them male and female. Who is Jesus? He's the only one. The perfect eternal son of God. He was united as a man. The hypostatic union. Fully God. Fully man. He lived a perfect, sinless life. He suffered and was crucified for sins, buried and rose again according to the scriptures. Jesus Christ is the center of, of the universe. He's the beginning, the end, the first, the last, the Alpha, and the Omega. We can't preach anything else. People don't come to, to salvation by any other name than Jesus. Come on, somebody universalism is a big thing in a church we don't see it here because hopefully nobody here believes that if you do let's talk afterwards but a large amount of the church and more and more every day are believing there's many ways to get to heaven there's only one way and one door and that's jesus christ it doesn't matter if you're jew or gentile it doesn't matter if you're spanish or german the only way to get to jesus is to get to heaven is through jesus christ and you could say over and over again how he preached himself. He said, I am the door. No man gets to the Father except through me. So Jesus is the only way the church has been uh, tempted to make it easy. Again, I'm picking on secret friendly churches, but I love picking on secret friendly churches. So we make the, we turn the, whole thing around. We turn the, the um, what, am I, what am I thinking of? The word missing. The yeah, we turn the funnel around. We make it so wide that anybody could come. And then we give somebody coming to church and finally we tell them, well, you can't do that and you can't do this. What do you mean I can't do that and do this? You told me that Jesus loves me and I can come to church and feel good. Well, you can't live that lifestyle. No, Jesus said, narrow is the way and straight is the gate that leads to eternal life. And few are those who find it. Are you there? I could preach on that. Find it for a while. There's no other way to get to heaven. Except by Jesus. And it's by grace alone. Personified in Jesus Christ. This is one of the most heinous sins. That the church is involving itself in. In this last days, As we. Just get people's body being in the right place means they're saved. Or they've said a prayer after you and they don't know anything more about the word of God than the worst sinner. But because they said a prayer and their body is in a building, they're going to heaven. Someone said that 85% of the people attending church will probably go to hell. Going to a building doesn't make you a Christian. But that's the kind of gospel that's been preached my lifetime, at least. People pack a building, you know. Oh, there's a good church over there. They've got 3,000 people. How many know anything about Jesus? You know, the hour on Sunday morning is the most spiritual time in the world. Everybody's spiritual during church. Then they go home and live like they want salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. He died as our substitute and was raised victorious over death in His bodily resurrection. We believe on Him. We trust on Him. But it's by grace. It's not by works. It's not by doing anything good. You could give all your money away. You could do all sorts of things. If you've not received Jesus as your Savior, we need to warn people, you're going to die and go to a Christless eternity. Oh, that every church would fill its pulpit with men and women that are unafraid to preach that right there. If you don't have Christ in your heart and your life has not changed, you're going to hell. You're comfortable right now. There's coffee in the lobby, but when you go die, you're going to hell. And if you preach that kind of thing, the truth is big buildings would empty out. I'm not going back there. They condemned me. No, we're trying to tell you, if Jesus is not your Lord, if you haven't made him your Lord, you're going to hell. Billy Graham said 90% of the Christians, he didn't say 85, he said, Billy Graham said 90% of people that go to church are going to hell. Where are we at? In our endeavor to change, we've got to live these things right here. Talked on Sunday to the women. I hope you all still love me. Sunday, this next Sunday, we're going to talk to the men. But how many know the importance of family? Without the family, we're done. The family is God's gracious and loving creation. And it's given to us for protection and partnership. Sex has become something that we don't even talk about in good terms anymore in society. It's a good gift. It's a covenant of marriage between a man and a woman. It's a beautiful thing. Family is important. And we need to get back to family. We need to encourage. It's so easy to get a divorce now, you don't need to even... It used to be hard to get a divorce. Come on, somebody. You can get a divorce. Show up at the courthouse and say, I don't want to live with this person anymore. They used to have a year of wait. Do they still have a year of wait in Indiana? No, I mean, you get a divorce, you say, well, irreconcilable differences. Okay, irreconcilable differences. What's that mean? It means you didn't try. Now, there's exceptions to the rule. I understand that. But for the most part, we have thrown down the gauntlet on the family. So you don't need to... We've redefined what family is. Three out of five black women will have an abortion in most major cities. There's more abortions that are our births. Talk about the Black Lives Matter. If they really cared, they'd do something about that. They'd close down Planned Parenthoods. They'd get counseling for women. Build shelters. Government and society. I hear a lot of voices right now. Especially the church siding with Democrats. How in the world can you sleep at night and side with the platform of the Democrats? How can you do that? How can you pray? How can you converse with God? How can you have any kind of relationship with the Lord and be liberal socialist? You can't do it. I'm not judging anybody, and maybe I am, but you just can't do it. Human society Cultures and nations were created by God for our good, and it's turned sour. Some Christians say, hey, don't even get involved in government. Man, if we don't, it's like watching somebody drown. We're watching our nation die, and if we don't get involved in government to change it, and how do we get involved? We preach the word of God in that position. I'm so excited that men and women of God are serving in President Trump's administration. His spokesman, right now, Kaylee, I forget her last name, McElhaney, spirit filled Christian. Vice President Pence, spirit filled Christian. Pompeo, spirit filled Christian. Come on, somebody. How do we change the government? We speak the word of God into it, we pray. Get involved in government, vote, talk. Call your representatives. Write your representatives. Pray for your representatives. Get involved. Go out and get involved in uh, in, uh, social things in our community, in your community where you live. Get involved. Make the change from the inside out. Social order is important. It needs to be permeated by Christians. We stand back and point the fingers at Pelosi's and the Schumer's, but are we doing anything to change that? See? See? Living out the ethics of scripture, we are to be salt and light to a hated to a world that hates us. We should oppose racism, greed, selfishness, and all forms of sexual immorality and pornography. We should preach against it. We should talk against it. We should help the orphan, the needy, the abused, the aged, and the helpless. That's what we're here for, to be salt and light. How do we do that? We get actively involved in the community. One of the things this young man said that I met with, I spoke of earlier, he started the youth center. We're doing a youth center on 602 Main. And if you go down on the east side of Main Street, headed north, uh, just past a Cuban restaurant, he bought a building and is starting a youth center of his own. Now, his is going to be tech. He's going to have computers. And he's spending his own money to do it. He's a couple hundred, hundred thousand in debt out of his own funds. But he said, Christians, this is what he said. He said, Christians came to him and said, you're wasting your time. The kids are a waste of time. Their families are nothing. The kids are nothing. Don't waste your moments. I said, you're hanging around the wrong Christians. But truly, what are we doing as churches? There's 29 churches in this community, and the kids are in bad shape. Kids are in bad shape, man. Drug use among our kids is just off the charts because we give them nothing to do. We've got to have social order. And one of the things the church did wrong for so many years is we hid in the church. I don't know where you were 30 years ago, but 30 years ago when I was a Christian, I got saved 39 years ago. I was told not to get involved with the world. The world was a wicked place. Stay away from it. Stay in church. How in the world are we going to change anything if we don't get involved with the world? And I bought the life for so long. Well, it's not going to be long. Jesus is going to come back. 39 years later, he's not back yet. He's coming. But what if he doesn't come for 150 years? He's coming and my children and my grandchildren, maybe not. So a lot of people said what you just said. You go back 100 years ago, people swore Jesus was coming at the end of World War II. Swore he was coming. He's going to come any time now. Now we've got generations of people that don't know Jesus. All I'm saying is we've got to preach like he's not coming back for 500 years. Believe he's coming back tomorrow. Sure, believe that. Hope that. Look Look in the skies and say, Jesus, come back but we've got to get involved and get social order back or we're going to leave nothing for our kids or grandkids. Could you imagine a nation where the church has to go underground? We're that close to that right now. Because now we're being told who we could allow in church and who we can allow to work for Christian organizations. And we're at a place where we never thought we'd be. Social order is so very important. So very important. And the last thing that we need to believe that I've made allusion to now throughout this list is judgment is coming. The judgment of God is coming on the earth. God will accomplish the fulfillment of all his purposes according to the pleasure of his own will and his own glory. On the day of judgment, God will judge all persons and his justice and holiness will be satisfied and right. It's not going to be something that's open to. There'll be no attorneys for the other side. There'll be no jury sitting there saying guilty, not guilty. God, the judge of the whole earth, will take each one, stand before him, and judge them. We need to tell people that. You say, well, you know, I don't want to get people upset. I want you know, I'd rather see somebody upset and go to heaven and happy and go to hell. There's a certain girl that used to attend here and we had a youth group once upon a time. We had a youth group here. On fire for Christ. On fire for Christ. Had wonderful conversations with her. I remember praying for her and praying with her. She's totally gone now. Totally gone. See her on Facebook. She's totally gone to the other side making sexual things online, on and swearing and cursing, taking the Lord's name in vain. And I want to tell her, I want to reach out to her. I want to tell her, well, if you don't repent, you're going to hell. Judgment of God, it's real. It's not anything, it's not a pleasant thought that we're thinking about. And we don't really like dwelling on it. Let's talk about something else, not the judgment of God, but it's real. And it's final. It's not a judgment that's going to just be for a little while and then God will get a reprieve and grace. No. On that day, that judgment will either send us one place or another. And this is a word for us as well. It's time to clean up our act as a church and as individuals. If there's anything in your heart that's keeping you between you and God, take it out. Because if what Gene just said is, is, happens, Jesus come back, that's, that's the end. There's no, reprieve. There's no, can I get an extension on this relationship? There is none. So we've got to believe God at his word. We've got to believe his revelation is the only revelation. We've got to believe God created all and he's in charge of it all. He made human beings. Jesus Christ is the only way salvation by grace alone. Don't look at somebody's life and say they're a good person. If they don't have Jesus, they're not a good person. Family is so very important. Do everything to strengthen your family. You say, does that make a difference? Yes, it does. It's one stronger family. It begins with one. Come on, somebody. Get involved and pray for government and society. We don't need to, you know, it's not our salvation. But without it, disorder comes. Social order. Man, we've got to talk to our children, our grandchildren. We've got to talk to the educational process. I'll tell you what, three and a half years at the school board level, I'm actually sick at my stomach of what I see in education. Sick at my stomach of what's being passed off as being education. Man, we need to speak to it and reform it. Somebody needs to get a hold of it. then, of course, the judgment of God. Father, I thank you tonight for your order and your discipline in our lives. Sometimes we need to hear, I believe we need to hear a lot of the adjustments that we need to make. God, it's not a time for partying. It's not a time for setting aside time for ourselves. Lord, we've got to give ourselves in this last push for your return, in this last race that we're in. God, I pray that you would Speak this word to our hearts. I pray for everyone that's listening and might listen by internet or whatever. God, that you would convict us to awaken our hearts to the hour. God, that you would extend your kingdom as you promised. But Father God, help us to live our word. We said, we'll follow you wherever you go. Lord, you said, go and make disciples. Cause that to rise within us. Have our lives change immediately, Lord. While we go out the next time in the marketplace, we'll speak to somebody about Christ. It only takes a minute to plant a seed, but it could change the course of history. That defining moment could happen in our lives, Lord. We pray for this area. We pray for this region. God, that defining moments would happen all over the place. In the counties surrounding us, God, that there might be a word come forth. Lives might change, and your church might come alive. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.